You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. Here I am, your host, with my two compadres, Jason and Dan. Hello. All right, all right, all right. Dan with his best, Ma- best Matthew McConaughey. I got my inner McConaughey going. I think I'm going <laughs> to drive a Lincoln. <laughs> Time is a flat circle. <laughs> all right uh we've got a good show for you today we are going to be talking about your friendly local game store and is it so friendly is it very local and can you really consider it a game store all those Ooh, questions will be answered later my. on in the podcast but let's get to our <laughs> geek week yeah for now let's burn the first 45 minutes talking about all the other stuff <laughs> <laughs> you love it, Jason. In fact, you kick us off. How was your Geek Week? Fun. I had a good time. I finally got my a good hobby space set up. Um, now that uh, the the rooms are back, you know, in kind of normal situation after a couple weeks past GuildCon, um, I got my table set up, my airbrush station set up. Um, went out and got a bunch of oil paints, and uh, I started painting some uh, some of my sisters in the, the the grim dark reductive technique we talked about last time. Okay. And I would say I am really excited about this technique. It is fun. It is fast, um, and it has a really cool look to it, aesthetic to it, uh, and really easy to do. Uh, I'm really really excited to to see how long it takes me to paint kind of a whole army with it. I am also excited to see your results as the picture you sent was a bit of a potato. Not going to lie. Oh, man. He's throwing shade. <laughs> what potato? Are you? What Jay's do you potato is my best work on any day ever. What I'm not talking about the paint job, Dan. Oh, That's not. Man. I'm saying the picture. The picture was a bit of a oh, potato. Oh, I thought you said his potato. Be- his paint job was a potato. No, I, knew, I, was like, I knew you camera box setup snobs would hate my <laughs> phone in hand picture. But it, I thought that I would share I thought I would no, share it, good. it anyways. <laughs> Justin. Listen. Now I'm going you, to second guess that next time. Listen, if you go onto my Instagram, you'll this see be, how many work yeah, in progress shots I have, you know, this with will, it. This'll be Justin. Hey, I tried this new thing. Oh cool, let me see. No, no. You can come over if you want to see it. <laughs> exactly, and I will. <laughs> no, yeah, no. All I have is a crappy phone. Uh, I don't have a nice camera setup, but um, it looks really cool. I I think that the um, the blending is is like so natural with this. Whereas you know when you when you do kind mm-hmm. of like acrylic layer blending, if you want that really nice uh, blend so that you know your eye can't see that uh, line between the colors, it takes quite a few layers and you know yeah. thinning material. Uh, and that kind of stuff. Whereas with this, you know, you just you slap that oil wash on, and then you just use the mineral spirits to, with a Q-tip to just very slowly dab it away, and it just like naturally fades to the color below it. It's just so easy and nice to do. That's awesome. And, How wet and, was the Q-tip? Um, I, I I followed the advice um, from a few different people's uh, YouTube channels okay. um, that said to basically just soak it. So what I but what I did was um, I you know Q-tip has two ends so I soaked one end uh-huh. and I would use that to and so I would soak an end then I would first hit kind of a paper towel just to make sure it wasn't like dripping yeah um, in mineral spirits then I would dab it and then if I felt like it was taking too much off I would just flip the Q-tip around to the dry side and then just kind of dab with the dry side uh, nice. as well and that worked out that worked pretty well for me 
Um, one thing that was really nice about it is that like the highlighting is baked into the technique. Like, right. like for example, with this girl, you know, she's got some, uh, some, you know, like some, some armor and like, say I want to like put a highlight on the edge of the armor after I've kind of, you know, gotten the nice tone into the armor. Well, with acrylics, you know, you would just break out like a lighter color and, you know, maybe go right in with the brush and just very carefully, uh, hit the edge. With it, with this, all I do is just take the Q-tip and I just do a quick wipe along the side of the edge, and it just wipes the the oil off, revealing the very light acrylic that was below it. So it's uh-huh. so so easy to highlight. Yeah, that's one of the things I saw in the guy's video, which was like, you don't ever do anything more than a base coat. Yeah, you need oh. a solid base coat, mm-hmm. and then after that, like it's just the reductive stuff. Yeah, and I'll say that. Um, Having I've painted three models so far. One of them I just did two colors. Uh, it was a white white robe, and um, I put like a silver armor on because I knew that the black oil would uh, darken the silver armor, and it mm-hmm. did darken it um, to the color that I wanted. So I got lucky there, I think. And the white robe, when I did the brown oil wash, it kind of turned it a little bit of a tan, um, and uh, which is what I was going for. Um, but uh, what I will say is that I've learned so far just from painting these three models that your base coat should be lighter than you think it should be. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, because the oils are going to darken it up and then you can always only remove as much oil as you want to come back up to that light mm-hmm. color. But the problem is with, I added a dark red color to the inside of the robe on the models I painted today. Yeah. And I noticed that, um, you know, I could never come up as bright as I wanted to. Uh, because the the base acrylic color was was dark, so yeah. I think it's important to be a little bit lighter than you think um, seems right, because those oils are going to darken it down a little bit. So I've seen him come back in with a brush after he does a reductive technique to kind of pop the highlights a little bit more, mm-hmm. but it's almost always um, the metallics. Do you know what I mean? Like he mm-hmm. uses yeah. usually like a silver or a bronze or something like that yeah. to like push the metallic highlights because I think he really likes the desaturated base coat colors. You know, if you're using a blue or a yellow or something like that, he really yeah. wants a desaturated look of it. You know, where you you bring the highlights out and like less oil paint over it, right? Oil wash. Yeah. Um, but he'll go back in with like and do like a little bit of edging with some silver just to kind of like like make it look like some of the armor or some of the metal is poking through a little bit of the paint you know that type of thing yeah uh, another thing i want to say on it is um the price point to get into it so uh-huh. you know with a lot of people that start in these miniature hobbies they'll you know you kind of just you go out there to uh, either your game store which we'll talk about later and you just kind of get the paint that's there or that somebody recommends or you just get the paint that's usually in the book that you got with your minis that says to, yep. to get this. Right. Um, and it can be expensive, man. Those little GW pots are, can be anywhere from, you know, like six to eight bucks each. Yeah. Depending on where you get it. Well, I went to Hobby Lobby and I got a set. Uh, I got a set of, let's see, probably 20... 24 different oil colors like the whole rainbow right um for like 15 bucks wow yeah and you only use such a small amount because you're just making a little wash to paint over right uh, the model and for the silver acrylic 
I just got um, some model mass because I knew that the oil was pretty much going to be what set the tone. Yeah. Um, I just said, I'll just get some cheap model master, master silver, which was yeah. like, you know, it was like three bucks for a little uh, a little thing. And I just throw that in the airbrush and I throw that on, uh, I just spray the model with the silver real quick and then put the oil on. But man, it was, nice. so, it's so cheap to get all the colors I think I'll ever need. Yeah. On this yeah. thing. Now I I I am gonna call you out a little bit. You talked about how um, the oil was. You had like one model that was taking like three days to dry or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't say you're calling me out. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, I'm drawing um, attention. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so interesting, and this is me just learning the brown oil. And I don't know what would be different about them because I'm not. I don't know the science behind making these paints right now but the brown uh, oil that i have which is just a burnt umber flavor uh not flavor uh color it uh it dries like with a blow dryer like i can put a blow dryer on the thing and yeah. um it'll be dry in like three minutes the black ivory um that stuff takes like a day and a half to dry and i don't know why it's from the same paint set and everything maybe huh. i'm putting more of that on because i'm trying to get that silver down and that might be it but um I don't know why the the black does take longer. So just be prepared that some oil. And I remember um um what's that one guy? This uh Marco something. He's a yeah yeah. Yep. I really Italian like Italian guy, right? Yeah, I really like his videos. He said that um it can take anywhere from two hours to two days yeah. sometimes for these things to dry. And I'm noticing that, so that's true. Yeah, but, but once I'd, you paint it, I mean, just set it aside and work on a couple other models. Right. Right. That's very cool, man. That was my week. That's very good. Uh, Myself, I'll get into it. You, you, me, and our two wives, we went to see Bill and Ted Face the Music. Yeah. At the Alamo. At the Alamo. This is the first time that we were able to go to the movies since before March. Yes. Uh And it was awesome. Uh, I thought they did a great job of doing the whole social distancing thing. And mm-hmm. if anybody's ever been to an Alamo uh, cinema house, like, it's, you know, they serve food and stuff there. So they have like huge walkways in front of where you sit so that the servers can come bring you your stuff. And so it's a great, I think it's better than most theaters for social distancing, mm-hmm. you know, because you've got a lot of space in front of you and then they put plenty of space to the side and behind did you they, and all that stuff. Did they book up the seats next to you? No. Uh, they blank them out. Or yep. so that's yeah, what so I mean. Nobody that's can book what I mean. Them. Yep. So you, like, if a group, oh, of right. four, a group of four of you went to the movies, did one of you buy the tickets so the blanks? Yeah. So you could all sit next to each other. Yeah, I bought yep. all the tickets so that it put us next to it, and then there were there were no one in the seats uh, next to and, us. And the best part is, Jay didn't actually buy the tickets because it was a pre-release. Yeah, it was preview. free. Free movie. So you I got this notification that. that said, "Hey, come see Bill and Ted for free." Jay, I yeah. understand. Just my buy wife some food. keeps inviting your wife to go swimming, and she she keeps shooting my <laughs> wife down because of social distancing at the pool. <laughs> it, the, I will say, the pool I don't with understand. kids is a little bit pool with kids is a little bit different than adults <laughs> in an evening. Location. I don't get it. The pool's all roped off. You're in your area. Everybody else is in their area. <laughs> I don't understand. Sure. Uh, I'll tell you what the difference was. You weren't seeing Bill and Ted because let me tell That's you. That's right. That's the this, difference. This was, this was uh, I went in with it to this movie knowing full well Bill and Ted's excellent adventure 
and Bogus Journey. And let's be honest, they are not Oscar-worthy movies. You know? They are goofball movies. I'm not sure if they've really held... I don't think they held up when they came out. Yeah. I mean, but they were fun, stupid sci-fi movies that you just laughed about, right? And had a good time. And let me tell you what we did in this movie. We laughed about it and had a great time. Yeah, it did not take itself seriously. No, no. Uh, In fact, there was one part of the movie where they, like... You know, go to the future, and <laughs> it was the prison scene. Oh, Jason, that was hilarious! I was laughing so hard, and it was so dumb, but it was so funny, and it, it was it, it again. They wasn't taking itself seriously. If you have a chance to see it, I don't know if I'd pay ten dollars for it. I don't, yeah, you know, probably wouldn't. But you know what? If you're desperate to go see a movie, and there's not a lot out there that's tickling your fancy, go see it, and just go in there with like low expectations, and you'll come out. Very happy. <laughs> yeah. You know? Especially when you get a free ticket. Yeah. yeah. Well, it costs us, what, a bucket of popcorn and a yeah. soda or something? Yeah. That was it. Well, so they it, make money off, off the their entrees yeah. and stuff. Now, yeah. did, yeah. You pre, did you pre, Now, Alamo, because I'm you a member, they, the ema- they emailed me it, and yeah. said, yeah, no menu. I'll pre-order, right? Yeah, yeah, I will say that was one thing that was goofy about it was like, and we're like, okay, that's fine. We'll pre-order the food. There was nowhere we could find to order a water. Yeah. And so I asked for a water, and then she kind of looked at me like, uh, I, saw I guess so. Yeah, she's like, I don't know. I'm not supposed to do that. I was like, well, how else am I supposed to Yeah, exactly. And the weird thing is it said, oh, just, you know, put your things up, and we'll come get refills. Well, there's oh, no things nope. to put up. <laughs> so There were some like, limitations. Yeah. So, I, you know, there's some kinks to work out. Oh. I think it was like their first week being open, so they'll figure yeah. it out. No worries. Which but, is probably why the movie was free, anyways. Yeah, yeah, it was good times. Um, I played. Uh, let's see, I played uh, a game of 40k over the weekend, and um, actually, I think I played two games since we talked about it. I got rocked in one game so hard, and this guy was a very experienced player, um, and so it was good. And he's been kind of mentoring me. A little bit, you know. I'm like, dude, I, I, this is my third game. Can I get some pointers from you? Can I get some list advice, you know? And he's been, he's kind of been helping me out. So, uh, big shout out to Raulo and down in San Antonio. I don't think he's listening, but you know what? Like, <laughs> shout out to him because yeah. still he's, has earned the shout out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he's been uh, he's been taking some time to answer a bunch of uh, pretty noob questions, you know. And um, and then I turned around and had uh, my first win, which was really nice. That's uh, awesome, man. Yeah, played played uh, pretty well. It's uh, with any of these war games, like it's learning the rules, like and not just like the broad rules, which are very important. It's like learning all the data sheets or the or the war scrolls that you have to use. You know, like each unit has their yeah. own set of rules, and if you can memorize those things and you know them. All of a sudden, it opens up the entire board to strategy, because you don't have to think about like, oh crap, what's that rule again? Oh wait, what do they can? What can they do special power wise? Oh wait, what's that thing? You know, like you don't have to keep searching for it. You can be there thinking like, okay, he's going here, he's doing that. That's going to open up this other opportunity, or I can exploit that, or some. You know, you can be thinking more strategically instead of being focused on the minutia. So um, I'm slowly getting there. Uh, 40k is a lot to lot to work through. I never even I never even got at all with AOS, man. There were some. I mean, there's. I've still never played some armies. Like I've never played Slanesh. You've never just, played Slanesh. Never hit the table in any oh tournament gosh. I've been or anything. I just never has hit the I've table. I've played Slanesh like so many times. Like I'm so tired of playing them. 
Yeah. How did that I didn't happen? Play, I didn't play Zinch until uh, LVO. Uh, and I got rocked. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because I had no idea what I was playing. And, you know, just no idea at all. So, yeah, it's very important. You got to learn the other armies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but even just knowing your own army allows you to, like, open up your strat- uh, yeah, sure. strategic mind. You know, because you're so worried about, like, what you're going to be doing next with your guy that, and looking up the rule that, you know, if you know it, then you're like, okay, I know that I can use this ability or I can do this thing. So, yeah, yeah, it's important. Uh, that's when, that's when I think the war games start becoming fun. It's like when, once you know your army, then, then it's fun. Well, you don't have to keep opening a book to learn how to attack. Yeah. With your guys, you can just say, all right, these guys are going to move and they're going to roll. They hit on threes and threes minus one. You know, it's, it's, you can just, the game moves forward and progresses and it feels yeah. like a battle. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, great, man. Congratulations on your yeah. first one. Thanks, dude. Uh, it was a mirror match, actually. It was a Raven Guard versus Raven Guard. Mm. So, kind of interesting. Um, all right. The last thing for my Geek Week is I have watched the first three episodes of Lovecraft Country. And this is an Ooh. HBO show. I was reading um, about this one. Yeah, it's an HBO show. And it takes place in like the 50s or 60s. Um, I'm not sure. I think probably more like 60s. Um, and, you know, it's got this guy um, who his dad disappears, right? I'm not giving anything away. This is like very, like, like you know, first five minutes of the show, his dad disappears and they're trying to figure out where like he might be. And so he comes back from the military to try to figure this out. And they end up finding, he gets it. He got this letter from him, from his dad, which was kind of weird. Cause his dad said he never wrote, like he said, his dad never wrote him. And his dad ended up going to find his mom's family, which was from this town called Artem, Massachusetts, which was like oh, Arkham. No. Exactly. Oh, no. Yep. Yep. That's what. That's exact. That was exactly my reaction. And my wife's watching it with me, and she's like, "Why? What is that bad? Is that bad?" I'm like, "Anything from Arkham is bad. Anything from Arkham <laughs> is bad. Like anything, you know." <laughs> and so I've totally enjoyed watching this, you know, because I I really like H.P. Lovecraft, and I kind of love the kind of Cthulhu ness, and you know, all the the horror and sanity and stuff like that. Um. It's been interesting watching it with my wife because she knows nothing about H.P. Lovecraft. She knows nothing about Cthulhu and cults and, you know, uh, all sorts of crazy, you know, psychotic people trying to summon things that they shouldn't summon. And um, so we're watching this and she's like, this is getting a little intense. And I'm like, oh, that's a shocketh. Oh, that's a shocketh. You know? I'm like, this is great. This is really great. So um, they've done a good <laughs> job with it. I think they've done a good job of taking, you know, his kind of 19, you know, the early early 20th century kind of horror and setting and updating it into like the 1960s feel. So it's like a little bit more modern, but there's still a bunch of like old ancient creepiness about it too, you know, so... Is um, it, th- yeah, is it uh, based on the um, the book, Lovecraft Country? Uh, I don't know if I've read the book, Lovecraft Country. Loosely, maybe. Yeah, it's a 2016 novel. Um, it has the I... same actors in it, Atticus. Oh, that sounds, yeah. Yeah. It might be. 
maybe it's uh, just kind of like a themed because the I just look you know Lovecraft Country was like sh- uh, short stories kind of. Oh, just like, okay. Well, you know what's interesting is um, it's got yeah okay, it's got um some oh yeah it's got all the same characters and stuff like that. It's got some of the it's got some of the same looks like some of the same stories and things like that in there, but um, I think it's a little bit different. Look at that executive producer combo: Jordan Peele and J.J. Yeah. Abrams working yeah. together. Listen, and Jordan Peele is a master of some of the horror stuff. He did Us and Get Out, uh-huh. you know, and those were some pretty intense movies. And so I think it's it's got a high production value because HBO's got money behind it. And, um, listen, I started picking up and reading H.P. Lovecraft, you know, his, his, the compilation book from Penguin Books, mm-hmm. just because I'm like, oh, I want more, I want more Lovecraft, I want more Lovecraft. So that's a great book compilation. If you geek out about Lovecraft, because, uh, that Joshi St. Joshi, is that the name of the guy that, uh, he's like a Lovecraft known Lovecraft expert that actually writes commentary on every story in that book. Yeah. I might be saying that name wrong, but... Um, I was going to look it up. I had it just right here. Let's see. Any, anyways, he... Um, I mean, he's got footnotes throughout every story. And uh, don't read the footnotes during the story because they'll give spoilers out. But, you know, after you finish the story, then you could just open... There's like three or four pages of footnotes for every story talking about, like, what the influences of uh, Lovecraft were at the time that he wrote the story. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, how the stories connect to other stories. It's a great uh, compilation. Yeah. Yeah. S.T. Joshi, I think. Okay, I did get it right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, it's a great book. Um, yeah, called Cthulhu and Other Weird Stories. It's the Penguin 20th Century Classics book. Um, highly rated on Kindle. And it's uh, I mean, it says it takes ten hours and twenty three minutes to read, and uh, uh I mean, <laughs> I don't know when I'm reading horror, it takes me a little bit longer. Me too. I was just gonna <laughs> say that. I was just gonna say that. I'm it's like, got page. Okay. It's got a. It's got a. Uh, a, a slower pace. His stories have a slower pace to it. It's not just like an action, you know, page turner type of thing. It, but it does draw you in. I just pulled up that book. I love the comments. Don't buy this. All his works are public domain. Who would buy this? You're idiots for buying this when you read it for free. I'm like, you're not buying it for the stories. You're buying it for the commentary. Yeah. <laughs> People. Yeah. Ugh, um, this world. And the commentary is good because it'll talk about like, oh, this this um, time in his life influenced him when he was living you yeah. know, at this point. And in fact, I was reading a story and it was describing this city and a hill that went up to the university. And in the comment, it was like, oh, that, you know, where he was living, Brown University was just up the hill. So he's, you know, clearly kind of drawing upon that inspiration um, when he was living in New England there. So, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to love about H.P. Lovecraft. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to hit the word love twice in there. But at the same time, I'm of two minds whether or not it's good that it's in public domain. Um, I know that all that stuff came out before Mickey Mouse because Disney has been fighting the copyright law on, on the, in Congress every mm-hmm. time, every time the year, the copyright mag- the public domain number comes up, Disney goes to the Hill and tries to get more years tacked on to keep Mickey yeah. out of public domain. So 
anything that happened before Walt Disney is kind of all kind of rolling out over. Um, I think in gaming, it's produced a lot of Lovecraft-themed games uh of of varying quality um i'm not sure all of them are are of the highest quality uh, i'm not throwing anybody in yeah the bus, no, no 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 absolutely but in in a market where you know it's like oh well you want to do an hp lovecraft rpg well here's six to choose from oh really yeah and they're all in in print now oh okay well i i'm playing this one while well, i'm playing this one and there's kind of a and, and, and board games and card games too. It all kind of falls into that. So, so I, I've got, I have a podcast topic for us, Dan. Lovecraft games. Lovecraft games. Ooh, I'm gonna mark it down. Lovely. <laughs> mark oh, it down. I've played quite a few of those. Yeah. The uh, the Secret down. World being one, I played a lot of that. Maybe it's a maybe it's gonna be a, a like a two parter. Maybe there's gonna be a board game, card game, and then a video game version of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. All right. Cool. On the upside, HBO can totally ape Lovecraft and make a cool thing without paying him. <laughs> or yeah. paying his estate, rather. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Although, if it's based off of this 2016 novel, I'm sure that guy's making That guy's getting money. some coin, yeah. But he's, he yeah. ripped off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's ripped off, too. So. Exactly. Oh, public domain. Well, that was it for me, Dan. How was your uh, geek week? Uh, I've had a, a pretty geekless week. Uh, we had a uh, flood uh, in our basement, and that chewed up a lot of time. It's really delayed yeah. a lot of the things I was doing with, with the game table and stuff like that. But I did complete my little home theater. I've got leather seats for uh, six people. Uh, two of those are motorized. And I realized after they were delivered, after I motorized my feet up, there was another button to motorize the headrest. Oh. And so it was pretty luscious, and we kind of bought it a little spur of the moment. And I'm like, ah, this is probably genuine leather, which is not real leather. It's kind of like leather that's been through a blender and and put through a, a factory. And no, it was actually mm. real leather with real grain in it, which was really exciting. Because in other news, I've actually purchased two different leathers for my game table. Um, and I'm eagerly awaiting that. So you purchase them by the side, which is side of an animal, right? Um, so okay. I've got some horse coming, which has been uh, milled black, like a bomber leather jacket. And I have... Um, well, some... I think we just lost all our vegan viewers. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Hobby Lobby, so they were they left they hung up at Hobby Lobby. I did. I yeah. did. Oh my gosh. We're trying to keep politics out of this. Can you just say I went to a local craft store? I lo- like when you listen to the things. Well, go to your local orange store. <laughs> go to uh, or your blue store if you favor that color. Go to a hobby room that is the room before you go to the room you want to go to. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I've got some leathers coming. I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm kind of buying the things I need for the net for two phases because I've basically got a five phase project now, and phase one is 100% done. Um, and so I'm fixing some of my phase two stuff. It led me to research how, how's the best way to hook up LED lights into a game table, and I learned way more about LED lighting from the guys who work on cars. Um, who light will light the in- oh, interior right. of an automobile than actual yep. game table guys? Because there's there's a game table out that you can buy right now where they've they've rigged the LEDs in a very poor way. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but it's one of the big big table maker game gamer nerd tables out there. 
so anyway, um, I've had to make some design changes, but it's um, it's been good. Um, I've been instead of cutting a lot of wood, I've been um, drawing uh, scale plans on graph paper and putting blocks of wood and getting all the feng shui figured out and saying, well, will this fit here and this fit there? And so when I do finally start cutting and gluing, it's all going to be what I want, not what um, I kind of lucked into. But between the LEDs and I've got to buy some plexiglass and I've got plexiglass right now in a in a big box store shopping cart online, um, I'm getting closer and closer to assembling all the pieces of this game table, which will be really great. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Yeah, the the cow leather for the surface is has a press of a gator surface. So they take a they take a gator leather and they pull they extract the surface on it and they create a die and then they press that into cow. So it's it's more affordable. So um, you know, uh, lizards and stuff don't make don't always make the most useful leather for things that you need. Um, You'd have to get a pretty big uh, alligator for your table. Yeah, it'd have to be a really big, (laughs) it'd have to be really, really expensive. Um, But at the same time, this, the surface of the, of the second state that there'll be a top level and the bottom level, the bottom level will look like it'll, you know, have dragon scales and black. Um, and so that, I think of all the guys complaining, talking about felt and talking about all the different performance fabrics, like they'll use the fabric that you put up on the roof of your car, on the internal roof of your uh-huh. car. And I had one guy say, oh yeah, well, you got to go all the way with uh, velvet. I'm like, screw you guys. I'm doing leather, leather, <laughs> leather. So now aren't you putting your crest in this somewhere? I am the upper game table. I'm going to, uh, I figured out a way to transpose pretty much uh, a um, 22 inch by, you know, 36 inch version of my family crest. I'll be able to transfer it over, then cover over, and then draw over it with pyrography, which is basically like a soldering iron pen. So it will be burned into the surface of, of, of the central leaf of the table. So. Um, and that's wood, right? Not leather. That's that be that would top? be wood. The top okay. the top level will be wood. It'll yeah, be okay. basically a pretty generic wood surface that to just gotcha. for for quick quick and dirty and for larger games that you want. I was gonna surface. say trying to burn it into leather a would be problematic in itself, but b I would be so nervous about messing up. Oh yeah, because yeah. you know the cost of the leather that I just be like, oh my gosh. I, I found I found a a, a company because he spent a lot of time on YouTube and one of the guys in Utah who's making a lot of leather goods turned me onto an online store that buys uh, slightly imperfect leathers from major tanneries in the United States and Europe. So the 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 gator leather I'm getting is actually coming from a tannery in Italy. Oh, cool! Um, but, but they buy all the st- they buy all the stuff that 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 tannery couldn't sell, and they sell it here. <laughs> so I'll have Italian leather gator uh, for my for the for my minis play area in the middle of this table when it's done. So to quote uh, to quote Tommy Boy, do you know what these shoes are made of? They're Italian. It's worth more than your life. <laughs> it's worth more than your life. You would think that that was expensive. Uh, between those two really large pieces of leather, I spent uh, less than 150 bucks. Whoa! Yeah. Less so, than okay. how much? 150. 
One was more uh, expensive than the other. The Italian stuff was about seventy-five, and the other one was about. I tell you, I'm excited to see your table. I think it's going to look really nice. Um, it's going to cost a lot more than mine. It's <laughs> the one I'm hearing, but it's yeah. sure it's going to look great. Well, you were like, "No, Dan, leather. You got to have leather elbow pads." I'm like, "You're right, I Jay." I might have said you that. Did. Yeah. You did. I'm still you thinking. Did. I'm still thinking about. I don't know. I want to see how you do yours though, because I'm not at all like that's not my ballpark. Like. I'm still learning this woodcrafting thing out. Yeah. Uh, the concept of like let's wrapping leather around things, like how do you do the padding and like yeah. I just I have no idea. Yeah, there's a lot of YouTube out there. It's is it worth it? I don't know, but whatever. I It'll figured this is this is my one shot to go big or go home because I'm not gonna like do another one of these. What really made me happy was is I saw similar tables with less features than I have selling for between four and seven thousand dollars on yeah. Etsy. Mm-hmm. And so wow. I'm like, okay, well, you know, if I'm probably going to end up spending a, probably in the $600 range after everything's done, not including tools. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of overpriced stuff on Etsy. If you do some searching on Etsy, you can find some some game tables that are a lot more budget that are like, you know, like 800 bucks that, yeah. seem, that seem to be a little more reasonable. And after having gone through the process of staining the table, I'm like, dude, I could build like a table in a day now, but it takes like a week to go through a full stain and sealing. Yeah. Right. Just waiting, you know, I'm like, gosh, man, I don't pay somebody to do that. It's but all, it's all the little stuff. And you find yeah, yourself like, stuff. you know, buying, throwing money at, at shortcuts. It's yeah. like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I, if I bought these pieces, there was a guy in our discord who's like, Hey, you can, you can have better clamps if you just buy pipes and buy these ends for it. I'm like, or I could just quadruple the price and have what I need today. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> yep, exactly. So I have a few of those those trade offs I've made. Like when I the main table, the thing I'm going to burn in is I am not going to glue those. I'm not going to glue you know wood strips together to make my own surface. I know how to do it. I'm happy to do it, but I'm also happy just to like double what I was going to spend on wood anyway for that piece and just have it be done. And then I just makes a couple lightweight cuts mm-hmm. to it to get what I need. Right. So um, the last geek thing I did is I watched the Rush documentary on Netflix. I've never been a Rush fan. I tried to get into them when I was in high school, which was not the peak of their creative creative prowess is how I felt uh, by watching this documentary. But that was pretty geeky. I had no idea how geeky Rush fans were. I'm like, oh, okay. They're pretty hardcore. Yeah, this is like a this is like a sister tribe, and and I, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. So, um, and, and now now in my uh, my my uh, shower Bluetooth speaker, I start the day listening listening to Tom Sawyer. So nice, that's good. <laughs> there you go. That's good. Actually, I think that Working Man, uh, their song Working Man, has one of the best guitar solos I've ever heard. Like it's it's a great guitar solo in there. You know, and they got a little drum solo going on there too. It's a Working Man's a great song. The 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 best thing about music is the test of time. I try to go back to the stuff I spent a lot of money on in high school. All the all the CDs I bought and bought and bought, and I go back to it. I'm like, eh, this isn't holding up as well. Uh, But some of it does, some of it doesn't. So anyway, uh, it's good to spread your uh, geek wings out and look for different things and other people who are passionate about something that's been marginalized. Like he were. 
<laughs> it was not a way to impress chicks by being into Rush. Let me just explain. <laughs> Let me it's just true. Cut to the quick. So, um, I felt Neil I, Neil Pert is a god of rock, and they're like, "What are you even talking about, bro?" Well, my my dad's <laughs> last my stepdad's last name is is Peart, spelled exactly the same way. Uh huh. And so, growing up, all these were Rush nerds would always ask him, "Are are you related? Are you related to Neil Pert? Are you related?" And we're like, "It's pronounced Peart." So we don't, I don't know, probably not. They're like, well, clearly not. And clearly not. We don't even pronounce <laughs> the same way. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, sweet. Well, what geek news do we have uh, to look forward to? All right. Well, Ian Publishing, the RPG publishing world of N-World. And these guys have been around a long time in the UK. And they have a great website that I really love. They announced the design team for the upcoming OGL 5e Advanced Overhaul, currently titled Level Up. The team features over 20 creators drawing from D- the uh, drawing from DMs Guild creators, uh, insider uh, contributors, professional freelancers with companies including Wizards of the Coast, Paizo, Wright Publishing, Green Roan, and Cobalt Press, and more. You can find the full announcement with this impressive list of talented creators on the Level Up 5e website. You can follow along with the design process and give your thoughts on the surveys on the official Level Up Advanced 5th Edition website. So these guys are basically doing advanced Dungeons & Dragons for 5e. Um, Which means a lot more granularity probably, right? And uh, you know what I'm saying? Like... The uh, three three E versus uh, you know some of the other editions was very granular in terms of stats. Yeah, it's gonna be. I don't know. I don't know. I I like these guys. Uh, these N World guys are are some of my favorite geeks out there. They have a really a great amazing podcast. One of the few that I can really get into um, that's about the gaming world, and they're just fantastic. So I give them um, I give them a lot of props. They 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 know what they're doing. Yeah. Cool. Very good. The next piece of news, the award-winning Free League RPG Tales from the Loop is now officially integrated with Roll20. Ah. The game is available as a bundle, which includes the core rulebook plus five mysteries that are ready for immediate play. Creatures from the Cretaceous, grown-up attraction, I Wagner, Summer Break and Killer Birds, and the Mystery Landscape. The bundle is available for $24.99 and includes complete integration into the Roll20 platform, VTT-ready maps and diagrams with GM layer information, player art handouts, and new Tales from the Loop, and a new Tales from the Loop character sheet. Did you guys ever see the Tales from the Loop on Amazon? I watched half of it. I uh, What did of, you think of it? I watched it too late at night when I was tired, I think. And so when the pacing was a little more retrospective, it, it, it didn't work with my, my headspace that time of night. So yeah. um, I, I did like it. Um, I, I probably would pick it up again and and i it wasn't it didn't feel bingy it wasn't one of those shows where you're like i gotta watch the next one gotta watch the next one uh it kind of it's a lot more uh a twilight zone where you can take it and then walk away and then come back and take it and walk away i turned it on five minutes in my wife says no and that was <laughs> that was it so i i have always been meaning to go back to it and i just yeah. haven't yet and yeah 
it's it's it, it's those are it's much more artistic. The 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 directors and the producers are trying to make fine art more than they are pop art, pops popcorn, get excited about a binge show. They're they're kind of making something to last in a way. Um, so uh-huh. I, I give them some credit. It's 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 great work, and and it does set a unique mood. And every episode's different, and it, they're all head scratchers, and and they're all enjoyable. Well, it's based off of an art book, right? Yeah. Yes. And so, like, I mean, that's kind of where I think the different kind of stories come from because it's different pieces of art that they've decided to create into a story. Yep. Which I think is a cool concept. I mean, it's not a weird concept to look at a piece of art and be like, okay, what's a narrative story that's going on here? I mean, that's the whole point of art, right? But to actually put it into another art form, which is, you know, you take a piece of art and then you create a 10, 20 minute vignette about it. That's kind of interesting. And they, they layer it up. Ambitious. Story and acting and sound. Uh, but the special effects are really seamless. There's a lot of special effects. It's all very, very seamless. Um, so it's it's really well crafted. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know, there's, there's a certain kind of 1970s sci-fi vibe to it. Um, uh-huh. Kind of like what the others kind of had in the Dharma Initiative and Lost. Every, everything feels a little old, um, and I think it's set actually in the '80s, so it's it's yeah it's it's good. Check it out; it's worth checking out, and it's certainly sci-fi and it's different. So if you're yeah. bored of laser swords and Tie Fighters and you want something new and different, check it out. Awesome. Uh, Ninth Level Games announced their new role-playing game, Business Wizards, designed uh, by okay. Matt Messard and Patrick Watson. This game features the same comics comedic style as their other well-known game, Kobolds Ate My Baby, <laughs> but puts players in the arcane world of business as you deal with the with the mimic copier, chat around the gelatinous cube cooler, and attend staff <laughs> meetings. Get it? A wizard staff. Uh, the game. Womp, will use, womp. Womp, womp. The game will use the polymorph system to skewer both fantasy tropes as well as modern office life. The core rules will be available in October if purchased directly from the publisher and in November for other outlets with a retail price of $14.99. So I, uh, if I play that game, I'm totally going to be one of the bobs. <laughs> right? So what is it you say you do here? <laughs> exactly. I talked to Michael Bolton. Michael Bolton, uh, <laughs> any relation? I mean, I gotta say, he is one of my favorite artists. I just love when when he sings, "A man loves a woman." <laughs> oh, it does not get any better than that. <laughs> <laughs> I've not watched that movie in like ten years. It deserves a rewatch. It's oh, it absolutely it's only, does. It's only fifteen bucks. I wonder if we should do like a night. Yeah, and just get a we, bunch of guys together. You know, everybody we, pitches in. We pay fifteen bucks and pick this thing up. It's D and D plus the office. I think <laughs> we have to now at this point. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to write it down as something that we've got to do. We got to yeah. do it. We got to do it. Yeah. We got to do it. But, well, may, maybe we'll get together in in a COVID nineteen compatible way. But we certainly won't go to the swimming pool. <laughs> oh <No>. dang! <laughs> it's no, going to happen won't. all night, Jason. Because no, if we go to the swim, yeah, uh, dude, we'll talk about that. <laughs> There's a difference between kids and adults. I'm messing with you. He's got you. He's got you. All right, business wizards. I've got it on the list. Business wizards. 
Business Wizards. Business Wizards. Yes, it's the follow-up to Kobolds Ate My Baby. You know, I had always heard about that one, and I was like, I really am interested in it, but then I never really pulled the trigger on it. So, Well, here's, the, here's one thing about comedy role-playing games. There was a comedy role-playing game in the 90s called Toon, where you were more successful by how funny your character was being. And everybody who played it, who I know, who is not insane, felt it was a very difficult game to be that funny on the spot. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. uh, so we'll uh, let's check it out. Let's give it a whirl, but let's not let's not pressure ourselves into being more more entertaining than we actually are. Yeah. So I, I am going to add one thing. Um, I always talk about like bundle of holding and humble bundle stuff. Uh, I was so tempted to pick up the uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay game. It's the first edition, though. So they're currently in their fourth edition. It's first edition for pretty much everything for like fifteen dollars. And um, it's got some good stuff. Like Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy uh, role playing has been the inspiration for a lot of games that are kind of the dark and gritty. And uh, Rob Schwab pulled from that big time when he wrote uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord. Um, both in terms of some of the mechanics and also the flavor. So I was half tempted to, to pick up. I mean, it's like $20, $25 and you get all of the, like, tons of books, tons of adventures. But, I mean, I already have, like, a whole bunch I need to keep playing. <laughs> I think you're at the phase in your gaming life where adding new RPGs to your repertoire sounds like a, a, a very positive thing. Yeah. And some of us have added so many that we will never play that it, sometimes <laughs> right. it's like... <laughs> And, and board game people fall into this as well. It's like, oh, yep, I'm going to need to spend $85 on that board game. And then they look at their closet and go, which one of these have I played in the last six months? And it, sometimes. so, But do it. It's Humble yeah. Bundle. They really take a lot of the risk out of it. And if they're PDFs, yeah. they don't take up a lot of space. I can't. They don't. I can't run a yeah. game out of PDFs. I need paper. I'm just too, I'm just too last century that way. I mean, I, we played Death Watch at GuildCon, as we talked about on here. And that humble bundle cost me fifteen dollars, and we played a, a great game. And you know what? If that was fifteen dollars for a four-hour enjoyable session, it was worth it, right? Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we may not play it again. Like, we totally could do another one shot some other time with it, which would be a lot of fun. But um, I was okay with that. You know, twenty-five or fifteen dollars? None. That was a great deal. So cool. Yeah. Anyway, and we love it when other people spend money on RPGs. So we don't. That's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. It All was, right. It was Jay. Yeah. Just one more note on that. It was Jay who was like, "Yeah, Dan, pick up the starter box set for that new Star Wars RPG. And if it's fun, it's fun. If it's not, it's not. That's now that right. I've bought yeah, the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> now that I've it bought great. forty-five books later. Nice. Yeah. Whoops. But we've had so many years of that playing with that system, though, man. So much good times. (laughs) Good times. Good times. Yeah, absolutely. And and Dan's like lapped us all several times because of his other group that he Mm -hmm. played with. Yeah. So I'm slutty that way. I have multiple game groups. Just with Star Wars, really. Oh, yeah. It's all going to be Star Wars. (laughs) I have a type. I have a type. Awesome. All right. Well, let's talk about game stores. So um, this Jason suggested this topic, and I think in part, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, because we recently had our local game store move 
from its location to another location that seems to be much bigger and better, uh, even if it's in the mall. Yeah. But it's there. Um, it looks like it's some great space. And I think this is a great opportunity to talk about game stores, why we love them, why we maybe not love them so much, and what does a good game store look like. So yeah. um, yeah. let's talk about let's let's kick this topic off with what are your expectations for a game store? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, um, I think um, I expect at least two things in a game store uh-huh. gaming space and product okay um those two you know and it, it's i think it's got to revolve around that in some way those things are the enablers for a game store you got to carry product yep and you know we you could dive into what that means and then you got to have a place for people to actually play the games versus just buy the product and leave yeah. Yeah, I grew up in the 90s going to game stores where nobody played in game stores where I was living mm-hmm. in Las Vegas. And then it kind of switched when I got into college where my buddy even opened, he bought a comic book store and he turned it into a comic book store and a game store and he set up a couple tables and that that was really crazy. He's like, yeah, we'll game at my store late at night. It was really, really kind of a, a mind-blowing thing to do because up until that time, the stores were crowded, packed with books and cards and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And you'd go in, find what you need and head out the door. Um, I, I remember my first, when I was playing Magic the Gathering, you know, first, the first, uh, it's been a long time I played that game. I don't think they're called editions, but yeah, the first, basically when it first came out, I was buying my cards down at a baseball card store. Yeah, the guy oh, had yeah, un- behind the glass in one tiny little corner of the thing. He had this new like magic card, not cards, and he just had this one box with yep. all these packs. And there and, it was baseball uh, baseball card shops. Man, that's a thing of the past. Oh, yeah, man, I used to. That's go the blockbuster the... of collectibles. Yeah. Um. So well, it's interesting. In the past. It's interesting, Dan, that you mentioned comic book stores because that right there was my first experience with a game store is really it was a comic book store and i'd go in and there was games there and this is before i mean i'm relatively new to the rpg scene like i never knew what D &D, i mean i knew what D &D was it was the it was the satanic game so (laughs) right uh you know that yeah exactly so um you know i mean i wasn't really into that i'd go in for either comic books or baseball cards were there too right um, and I'd see things in there. Like they had, sometimes they'd have minis or other things like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Like you nerds, you know, and <laughs> that kind of thing. This is when um, you were playing rugby and steering yeah, guys' yeah. faces into the mud, you know. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, you nerds. But, um, the interesting thing is, is like looking back on a lot of those stores, I went there with another friend and he was usually into a lot of the comic stuff, but maybe there was one table. And it maybe it sat like four people. It was like a little card table. Yeah. At most in in the store. It was not a gaming space where you could actually game. And I think that's even true for uh, games workshop stores to a certain extent. I mean, do you remember them in the malls in the '90s? I mean, I vaguely remember them. I went in. I remember them, and they had they always had tables to play on. Did they have like a demo table or tables tables? Uh, both. Yeah. Okay. So, in fact, the Games Workshop store that used to be in our mall here, our local mall, that now our, our local game store has moved into, it, they held uh, Saturday events 
Uh-huh, okay. Okay. I I didn't like going to the Games Workshop stores at all because it was 100% all their products. Yeah, right? and that's that was the problem with the Games Workshop stores for uh, sure. Absolutely. Now, pre-dating, pre-dating Games Workshop in the malls in the 80s and 90s, we had what was called the Game Keeper. And the Game Keeper was a really great chain. It was a national chain of game stores that had all kinds of games, party games, fancy chess sets, pewter statues of wizards, but it also usually had a pretty decent selection of D&D stuff. And that's, you know, or RPG stuff or stuff we would consider typical gamer things today. And there'd be a stack of Avalon Hill games for, um, you know, simulation, historical simulations. Uh-huh. And so, the, you know, the, the mall, the retail space for games was a real thing. Uh, Gamekeeper was really cool for a lot of years. And I bought a lot of my stuff there um, when, when they had what I wanted. But a lot of these stores over time, they just couldn't, uh, couldn't, you know, couldn't make, couldn't pay the bills and had to change what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We see that with computer game stores too. It was uh, all the computer stores were like EB Games and uh, yeah, a bunch of other ones. I can't even remember, but um, you know, now it's basically the only place you're really going to find a computer or video game store is, is uh, GameStop, and that's kind of it now. And they're even kind of struggling now too. Yeah, especially um, with the advent of digital. Well, they were making a lot of their money off of resales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, of like discs and stuff, and now people getting digital purchases is a uh, thing of the past. So, well, that's because they ripped everybody off on the resales. Yes. <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, they did. You know, something that, that a sidebar there, something that was nice. A lot of people didn't remember about the resales is you could return resales. Yep. In a window, and people are like now, you know, now it's different because it's a digital world we live in. But yeah. I would always go to the game store if I wasn't sure about a game. I would find a used copy. Right. Take it home, play it for a couple of days, bring it back, return it if I didn't like it. It's like, yeah. why? Why are you returning? I didn't really like it. Like, all right, whatever. Yeah. So and I, that yeah. was that was one nice thing about the pre-owned hard copy uh, versus you know if you buy it new, it's no, I'm sorry you bought it. Yeah. Yeah. But, so uh, it's good to know. so okay, so we we talked about game space, right? Tables and product. Yeah. Um. You know, we talked of sort of evolution. Now, I mean, a game store. Uh, I mean, you and I have a friend, Jason uh, Dutch, who has opened his game store, but it is really just a, a little brick and mortar storefront for him pushing his product almost digitally too, yeah. or not digitally, yeah. but you know, over the internet. And um, he's talked to me though. He found a space in Springfield that he was interested in maybe converting into a game store. That had something like forty six hundred square feet, you know. It, it's interesting, and you know, it, the, and there are still a few. Um, um, there's a Caverns Game Store in Springfield. There's a Games Workshop Store in Springfield. Um, it's that's a one thing that's hard about game stores is you also have to look about you have to look about where your location is and where your demographic is, right? Like yeah. you're gonna game stores are gonna do really well like around universities and colleges. Um. You get those young guys uh, and girls that, you know, are kind of on their own now and they've got a little bit of income to some degree and they can decide, you know, how to how to hang out with their own kind. Um, but I think, um, you know, our friend who's who started his got his little store going right now. It's almost it's almost just a, a closet storage location for him. Right. Because he still does all of his all of his yeah. stuff digitally 
And so I don't I don't consider that a friendly local gaming store. I wouldn't you know, either. Not not you know? not at least not now. Not no, yet. no, because you don't have the space. And I think the key there, when you have the space and you have the product, it does a very important thing that makes the game stores extremely important. It creates a community, right? That's which the whole good, point, in my which opinion, can be of a game good, store. Good and bad. Uh, depending on the level of a-hole tolerance in that community. <laughs> um, so, and look, hey, Magic the Gathering has kept the financial the financials of gaming very sound for a long time, but yeah, there's a lot of hardcore players of Magic the Gathering. I, I'm not, in, unless they're playing a game that I like, I'm not going to sit down and play with them. And then I'm not trying to be snobby. It's just there's just a lot of people that have different levels of social skills. Yeah. Um, and you, if you're used to playing with your friends who you've been around for a decade or two decades or three decades, you're finally attuned to what a great gaming experience is with them. And, and then we go to conventions and we're around different folks and we're like, well, that was weird, but it's just because we're more attuned to what we have self-selected to like. Right. That's a good point. I, I, I don't know. I think that, um, from, a game cons- uh, game standpoint, and we uh, in our after show last week, we kind of talked about um, the topic of dead games, and mm-hmm. one of the one of the important things is that like there was no community that supported it, right? Yeah. And I think that um, having the local gaming store that supports a game, all of a sudden has created a thriving part of their a their own business, but also a part of the community as well. Right. And some of them have done a great job. I think hosting D&D games is a great way to get people in the doors who mm-hmm. wouldn't go otherwise. They're like, yeah, I want to try mm-hmm. D&D. I don't want to go over to some dude's house. I'd rather do it in public. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and, and, yeah, and, 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 you know, when you go down the path of war games or miniature games, there's a lot of product associated with it, and there's a higher dollar investment involved with that, like, a, a, a particular community. But then they also have to be able to find players and judges if they're going to host tournaments and stuff like that. Yep. Um, and so that's um, if you can get a critical mass going, you can kind of build an engine, you know, uh, where you get new players in and old players spend money, new players in, old players spend money. But if you're str- if a game is struggling to take off, or if all the product you have isn't moving, and people come in and say all you have is the old busted stuff that I don't want, where's the new stuff? And the game guy, game owners, the shop owner says, "Well, I'll order, I'll order something for you if you want it." And you're standing there going, "I don't know what I want." <laughs> I even have yeah. you order it. So, some of those, some of those, uh, some of those break down over time. Yeah, it's a bit of a catch twenty two when you've got X amount of store space, and you want to carry enough product that if somebody wants it, they can grab it off the shelf. Because if not, they can walk out your store. And flip open Amazon and get it for you know twenty five percent off yeah. and to their house in two days versus you ordering it for them they're paying full retail and it'll be there in a week yep you know yeah. and so so you you know as a game store owner you you want to have the product in so you you know the impulse buy of like oh do I want that game awesome here you go and you have it in your hand right away versus um, you know like I don't have enough space for all of this and it's hard for me to predict exactly what everybody wants you know i mean i could order um all of this games workshop product and stuff like that but if there's nobody playing 40k or age of sigmar 
it's just going to sit on the shelf. Yeah, I wonder, this is something, you know, we've seen a lot of problems with is uh, there used to be a game store down here, Game Parlor. Yeah. Um, and they were, they had a big space with a lot of product and lots of tables. I mean, they're like, it wasn't just Wargaming, like the local chess club had a night there mm-hmm. uh, and everything. And I actually went to a few of those and it was a lot of fun. Um, and then you started to see them go downhill. Uh, and I'll tell you, watching that happen, uh, it used to be, you know, you'd come in, you'd buy stuff and they had like a store credit system. It was like every, you know, every dollar you spent, you got like a, I don't know, like a penny or something. Right. And then I came in one day and they had all this old, really old, really, they had some new stuff. But they had a bunch of really old, cool old games and stuff. And I came in one day and, and I bought some paint and they were like, oh, we've temporarily suspended the, um, the in-store credit earning. And I was like, oh no. And then <laughs> a little while later, they started charging sitting fees. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, this is not good. That's when I started I look- going uh, to, to that oh, yeah. store, and I'm like, uh, okay. And I remember standing there one time, and I looked around, and like these guys are on hard times. And I looked around, and I saw boxes that had been sitting on their shelves for years, it's the dust. still marked at the same price. Dusty, right? and dusty I'm like, stuff. I'm like, I think that there are just there's a lot of people who are passionate about games, but don't have a lot of good business sense. That around these yeah. is like oh, if you've yeah. got product on your shelf that is not moved, make it move. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's move it. it's just costing you more money to keep it on your shelf. And and listen, I, I mean, at this point, I when was Game Parlor ten years ago, 12, fifteen years ago? Maybe? Yeah, it was about ten years ago. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, this is before Amazon was really a thing ten years ago, almost. You know. Yeah. Um, it was becoming a thing, but I, I think it's what killed it, the <laughs> online stuff. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, the thing is, is if you can adapt, and all of a sudden you're selling product at Amazon prices, you know, like even on the internet, if I'm putting it on eBay or Amazon or whatever, and I'm, I'm sending it, um, or I'm drop shipping it. That's a great way to augment that. And then take the pressure off of your local guys for having, having like making them buy enough product to keep you in business. Yeah. yeah. You know, cause the thing is, is <clears throat> I'm not hesitant to buy product from, um, from the local gaming store. I will pay full price if I know A, it will help them, B, it helps the community, you know, C, I can get it in hand right away. Uh, you know, like, I, I, I'm not, I, I won't hesitate to do that. Um, but if, uh, you know, if, if, if they're relying upon me to buy a full army that might cost me anywhere from three to $800, Jeez. And then they want, you know, so let's say I spend three to $800 there over the course of like three months or something like that as I'm building my army, right? Um, they can't be expecting me to do that every three months yeah. Mm-hmm. because I've got yeah. an army that I'm probably going to use for a year, you know? And so, I, you know, I, I'm not going to drop $800 every three months like on, on their stuff. And they can't really expect that either. So they got to be able to take the pressure off of forcing the players that are there that are giving them business. It may not be regular business, but it's good business. Uh, the players that are there to fund their entire operations as well. Mm. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. You know? No, I think uh, the, uh, the gaming industry, as far as the, the dollar throughput usually ranks right above or below the opera industry. I mean, there's just uh, this is you can look that up. It's like yeah, if you rank the game like legit gaming of all the dollars that go through it, it is not a big deal. And 
So I, I all my heart breaks for these really passionate guys who love this stuff and they want to do what they love. And look, my my good buddy in high school, he was a game store owner, and I knew how. I mean, I knew how tough it was, even with cheap retail uh, real estate prices. So it just and that was before the internet. That was before Amazon. That was before the internet. They were just yeah. they were just struggling, 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 struggling. So I, I don't think there's any clean, wonderful way to to fix a friendly local game stores. Prayer, drop money when you're there. If they have something <laughs> yeah. you want, then then do that. And I've done. I've been way more generous. Like I would go in and look around. Yeah, and if they same. had one thing that I almost wanted, and I knew I could use it, let's say in my X-wing collection, I would just pick it up. And um, they'd be like, "Hey, what's your what's your email address? We'll give you ten percent off." I'm like. No, it's okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're like, I can spend the extra two dollars. It's, like, it's fine. Well, trust me, guys. <laughs> it's I, worth two dollars, uh, not for you to fill up my inbox. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, the g- game stores, friendly local game stores, love them. But uh, as people get more specific with what they want, and the internet provides that, and yeah. eBay provides that. I mean. I'm buying things on eBay that when I was in college in Las Vegas in the 2000s, yeah. I could pull up to a very large game store in the middle of town and have an infinite selection of game stuff, and I would have spent stuff, spent money in cash and got what I wanted and walk out the door. Now, I, I would not be able to find a store in the state, let alone the local eastern seaboard, yeah. where I would have been able to find the precise thing I was looking for. But guess who had it? eBay had it, and they had it at a great price. It was probably some guy who had a collection and wanted to off it. And supply and demand, supply and demand. And the the demand of gaming, God bless, God bless Magic the Gathering for saving gaming. Because they could push a lot of product. It took up a lot lot less space. And the more you buy, the better you are. Mm And and hallelujah. I mean, hallelujah. That's why I haven't thrown away my Magic cards from the 90s is because uh, I have a good vibe about magic for saving gaming, and that was my investment into it. But so I l- let me just build on that a little bit, and and kind of take this in a in a different route a little bit. The um the thing that friendly local gaming stores can do that the internet really can't do is provide a social setting to game. Yes. I mean, you can kind of do it on the internet. I mean, there's Tabletop Simulator we've talked about. Sure. There's video gaming that you can do. But it's there's it's there's nothing like being able to sit across from your opponent and joke with them and laugh with them and, you know, spend some time together in one location. And so knowing that that is the competitive advantage that a gaming store has, I think the key t- for me of a good gaming store is events hosting events and it could be just a warhammer night it could be an x-wing night it could be an actual like one or two day tournament that's going on a saturday event type of thing um it could be a hobby hour you know hobby power hour um it could be local painting competitions it could be um you know building uh building competitions or something like that i mean as a gaming store, if you've got a community, um, the thing that is going to really take advantage of your your competitive advantage is really digging into the community and making it a welcome place for them to come and a place where people want to come and participate yeah. uh, in those in those types of events. That's great. I, I agree. I, yeah. Totally. 
the, my favorite game store is really a restaurant tavern in Manassas mm-hmm. called Crossroads Tavern. Uh-huh. And to be quite frank, every time I've gone there, it's been for an extended period of time, and I've spent way more on food and drinks than I ever got close to spending um, in, in any regular game store. And I bought game yeah. stuff there. They have a game store-ish place for it. But really, you go there to get access to their library, and um, as long as you hit it on the right night, and you you know you're not they're not in a hurry to free up that table, you can spend a lot of time there. And the usually, you know, I've spent three or four hours there, and man, they keep coming around, and I keep ordering more stuff. And yep. I, uh, you know, I've gone to big restaurants in D.C., like expensive restaurants in D.C. in my day, and I've almost spent more at Crossroads Tavern <laughs> just because yeah. it's not that the food is all that. It's great. It's great. It's tavern food. It's wonderful. And the, the service is really great. But um, you're just kind of engaged. You're engaged in gaming in a very uh, different way. Which is yeah, it em- emphasizes the need for the store to provide other services than just selling product. Mm-hmm. Yes, because it wouldn't work as a game store. It just mm-hmm. wouldn't work. Then people don't just drop seventy five dollars on an expensive board game as a impulse buy. You don't impulse buy an eighty five dollar seventy five dollar board game. Oh yeah, you think about it. You think about it. You think about it. You think about who would play it with you. And then when you do buy it, you're not buying another seventy-five to eighty-five dollar board game for a couple of months at least, right? Yeah, if not another year, you know. Yeah, because you want to get your entertainment value out of it. But yeah, this is why I have not bought Twilight Imperium yet. <laughs> yeah, because right. I'm like, I want it, 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 but I don't know who's gonna play it with me. I'll who's play it with you. Dedicate ten hours. I'll play it Lincoln, with you. I can't dedicate way, Lincoln, ten hours, but I'll play it. Lincoln was asking me if I knew how to play it, and I'm like, no, but I want to. Yeah, I know. I saw that. <laughs> I was going to say that, too, but I was like, that's not what he asked. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, I it's know. holding up. It's If it stands the test of time, it stands the test of time. Yeah. 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 But uh, I think that um, – I think it, what can – I think game stores need to think about innovation, you know, break the mold – break the old mold because the old mold does yeah. not work anymore. Um, you've got to do other things uh, to keep to keep the thing running. And you know, it's funny. I used to buy a couple things from eBay because eBay is not just used stuff now. Now it's also storefronts sure. use eBay. Yeah. And I was buying a couple uh, models off of eBay and I, I got it in the mail and I looked at the, the shipping address and I was like, holy crap, it's like five miles away from my house. <laughs> Yeah, and I lo- I looked it up on uh, on uh, Google Maps. Sure enough, there's a tiny little game store down in you know, Occoquan, uh, isn't it? Yeah, down in Occoquan. Oh yeah, and that was yeah. the Tornado Alley or something. Yeah, and that was the place that I had bought these from off eBay. And I'm like, that's interesting. I tell you what, I've driven by, I've walked by, I've gone there so many times. That store is never open. That's awesome. <laughs> it's yeah. never open at any time of the day, nighttime, daytime, morning time. It's never open. It's literally just a front for selling stuff on eBay, I think. <laughs> and probably running drugs. But yeah, I probably. Mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they do run drugs there. <laughs> they had, uh, they had it like when the community opens up and they have like Aquacon days or whatever, right? Um, they'll open up and they had a sale and I bought. Oh, you've been in it. I've it's been real? in there, and there. Whoa! You know, I, I well, spent money. So here's an example of a store that has embraced the times. Right? They're not just trying to sell product through window shoppers. They're yeah. also using the online uh, world that we live in. 
to do that part of their business. Yeah. Combine that with a store that would also hold, you know, weekly events, uh, sell food. Yep. And I think you could have a pretty, I wouldn't say you're going to get yourself rich, but I think you could have a pretty steady business. But you would have to, I think it's one that you have to actively engage in and continue to. Listen, I went on. down to, um, there's a game store in Norfolk, Virginia, which I, I, I love this game store. It's called Tower Games. And um, I went down there, and it seemed like every night I was traveling like on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something like that. But every night I'd go, it wasn't ever a Warhammer night, even though I'd kind of bring my army down there in case somebody wanted to play. Um, it was never a Warhammer night. They had a couple of tables set up for it, but it just wasn't the Warhammer night, right? The, their nights were like Thursdays or Fridays or something like that. But it was D&D night there, and they were doing the Adventures League. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you had I'm not I'm not even kidding. You had 60 people in there playing D&D all like eight people, uh, not eight. Like There's like six people plus the GM at each table. And there's probably, uh, you know, seven or eight tables that were going, I, you know, that, and I was like, holy crap, this is like a con. Yeah, I've seen, smaller, like con I've seen smaller cons than that. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, I said, so what's the deal with the D&D? And he's like, oh, OK, well, it's. It's $10 to play, um, or there was like a season fee or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the store's fee. It was the the people who were running it. Yeah. Um, so that they could get like materials for, you know, for the books and minis and stuff like that for the campaigns that they were doing. And was the store just hoping to smell, sell bags of chips and Cokes? Is that what they were doing? Yeah, and they did, dude. They were, they were pumping out the chips and Coke. Yeah. I'm not kidding. I mean, they were just pumping out. And people would come out and get, like, a book or a mini or something like that, you know. Uh, maybe some new dice. They had a whole bunch of stuff there. Um, they did, like, used minis and all that stuff as well. But, you know, I mean, the point was is that um, you said these stores got to break away from the old models. And I think that I think that one of the models is we are going to make people pay to play, right? Yeah. And... Um, one of the things that I think you and I ran into one time, Jason, with a local gaming store was um, they were like, well, if you guys don't come and like basically buy product, we're not going to give you a night to play on. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm like, well, see you later. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, because I'm like, what do you want me to do? I have bought an army that I'm working on. I mean, I have already bought models from you. And you want me to come in, and there's only, like, you know, 10 of us in this small, like, Age of Sigmar community. You want us to, like, I mean, you you just keep coming to the same cow, and it's dry, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, we can only do so much, but the idea of cutting us off because we're not spending enough, I think, is a terrible, terrible model to follow for a gaming store. Yeah. yeah at, th- at that point, the business owners need to sit back and say, <clears throat> All right, we have a we have people coming into our store. Why are we not making money? Right. Yeah. And, and change something else. Change you. What do they want to yeah. buy that I could sell them? And maybe that's not gaming stuff. Maybe it's the chips and mm-hmm. cokes. Um, and yeah, maybe they needed you know sitting fees as much as we. It was kind of an anathema to us when they were first introduced. You know, now in the age of Amazon, don't 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 really sound that far out of of what could you know what should be expected like if i went to to if i was experimenting with an rpg i could drop 10 bucks to just you know sit down if that's worth like 3 hours of gaming i could probably yeah. i could probably part with that 10 dollars 
Uh, yeah, here's the thing. If if they said, "Hey, you got your RPG night. You can come have it. We'll have a little table set up for you. It'll be great." Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's like five bucks to rent the table yeah. for four hours. You're like, yeah. I mean, we'd all do that. Yeah, yeah. The 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 thing too, I and I've noticed this is that like, um, if you're gonna run an event, right? You charge money, and a bunch of the money goes into prize support. And whatever it is, you know, for for the tournament that you're gonna play, people are willing to pay fifteen dollars to play in a like a you know three game tournament, or yeah. fifteen dollars to play in a big you know Magic the Gathering tournament, because the thing is, is they say, okay, I know that this money is a allowing me to play in a tournament, which I want to play competitively, so I'm okay with that, right? It's an entry fee. B uh, it goes most of this most of it goes straight into prize support so I get a gift certificate that I can then purchase stuff at the store if I need more paint or more models or something like that there's that and then see like there are uh, there is usually a percentage of that money that goes straight to the game store to kind of you know the fact that it's reserving the the all of the tables for an entire Saturday it's got to kind of like cover its costs a little bit people do not balk at that though. You know what I mean? You'll have the tournaments fill up. You'll have the events turn up. Where they do balk at it is it's, well, all right, well, you you individual person need to pay $10 to sit down and play. Yeah. Because then it doesn't feel like you're really getting that much out of it. There's a difference between a sitting fee and a registration fee. A sitting fee is exactly. like, well, you're charging me to sit down and to play something. A registration fee is you're in. You just got in. You just bought your ticket. And it's, it's, it's right. probably the exact same dollars, just with different words. Right. Words matter. Right. And and I, I was thinking at first, like when, you know, I was looking at some of these tournament fees for these local game stores, I was like, oh, it's $15 to play. And I'm like, oh, man, it's $15 that, you know, every month that I'm playing this. And I'm like, okay, A, I'm playing for like eight hours. I think I can swing $15. It's like $2 an hour, right? I mean, there's that. But the thing is, is if you win something, if you get like top three, you get to use that money to buy something. You're like, oh, this is great. I won yeah. something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, that's the store's money. I mean, they're selling product. They're having a tournament to sell product, yeah. essentially, because it's a gift card. And nobody balks at the fact that they're not cutting you a check or giving you cash, right? They're like, oh, sweet. I, I now have this $40 gift certificate, which puts me just over the top of getting that ginormous model I've been wanting. Right. You know, now all of a sudden that model that's a hundred dollars is only sixty, and I'm totally buying it. You know, and, and so yeah. that's a that's a big win for that store too, because they just sold a huge model or something, you know, or game. Yeah, and I think one of the problems that uh, that that we uh, I have perceived in the game store in our area is that it is too focused on three games. And if you're not into one of those three games, there's yeah. no stuff on the wall for you. You're, you're, and so there's a level of exclusion and lack of exploration. Because what a game store gives you is access to things. You get to see things, touch things, and experience things maybe that you wouldn't have otherwise by trolling around on the internet. Yeah. And the stores fall into this trap of, well, I got to support Warhammer because that's where the money is. I got to support Magic because yeah. that's where the money is. Um, so it's it's a really delicate balance. It's like, how big do they actually want to be? And some right. sometimes they limit their own growth and sometimes the growth isn't worth it. 
Um, it's, it's really tough. And all of those guys at the end of the day are competing against the internet and the fact that they're, you know, the fact that any of them have a bre- you know, beating hearts and are breathing O2 and there are people whose livelihoods are based on gaming is nigh unto a miracle considering yeah. that heck man, I'm, I'm on my Amazon app. I know it's there. I know it's on my wish list. And if I get spendy, I'm three clicks into seeing it two days from now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, Jason, uh, Dan, any any final words uh, regarding game stores? Yeah, guys, use the damn deodorant. Just put on the deodorant. <laughs> brush your teeth. Don't talk with your mouth full. I mean, gamers do so much, such a dis- – and I'm not trying to say all gamers, but there is that percentage that do a disservice to the entire hobby, and I just – and guess what? Everybody starts talking about this right before Gen Con. And you know why we talk about it before Gen Con? Because it's real. It's a real thing. Um, so uh, last year when we were at the Nova Open, Jason, did you see that box of deodorant that they're uh-huh, handing out? Yeah. Free deodorant. Yeah. Yeah, Free like with your registration. And the funny thing is, is I, you know, I was thinking about it, Jason. I was like, oh, man, if I go, if I go play 40K... I'm going to be in those tight, sweaty rooms with all those 40K players instead of the big, open, airy ones with all the, you know, AOS players. I'm like, oh, great. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, we want to love the games more. We want to spend more money than we do, but uh, it's hard to to be universally inclusive, but yet have social norms. Like, don't be offensive. Don't be rude. Your attitude, your opinion about a game is not the is not the end all be all right. opinion. If you have a big opinion, do a podcast. You know, um, you know, you have to be. The community needs to be more malleable, to be more welcoming, and um, on lots of different levels simultaneously. I think progress has been made. That I've I've seen a lot of progress in the last three decades of doing this thing. However, there's still room to grow. Yeah. That's my final word awesome. on that. It's, it's to harsh on gamers. It's to harsh on them for being, you know, for being gross. Sorry. It, it's, a, it's a real thing. I, I, I can't, it, if it wasn't real, no one would talk about it. <laughs> Jason, what about you? Just, uh, you got to know your, you got to know your demographic. Um, I think that I hope, I really like it when I see game stores that are trying to do things other than just get you to empty your wallet on their shelves. Yeah. Um, hold, hosting events, uh, having snack bars there, you know, um, selling stuff online as well as in the store, um, the being something other than just a game store, you know, even if it's just a coffee shop combined. Uh, I think that's smart. That's smart business too. Cause we all love gaming. Um, but uh, we also know that you know you, you still have to you still have to have a job and you still got to make make things push and even those people that own these stores. Um, also, just a Dan said it really well. If you're in a store one time, don't be afraid to support it because you know this is how we keep the community going. You know, it's we'd all love to be able to get that really awesome thing for like the best price possible, but it's also worth being able to continue to uh, support communities and have social events. So sometimes, you know, you just got to pay that extra couple bucks just to help the guy behind the counter make ends meet. Absolutely. And, and I just echo that. I mean, game stores, I think, uh, represent something a little bit more than just a place to buy product for me. 
Um, and I think that I felt that even more during, you know, this COVID time where I can't just be like, Hey hun, I'm going out to the game store. I'll be back later. And then just go hang out with my friends. I, you know, there's, there's a time or two that I showed up to play a game and nobody was really available. Like, you know, maybe there, I was like the odd man out type of thing. There's already a couple of games going on. I pulled up a chair and did some hobbying while I just kind of BS with them and watched how their game was going. And it was so much fun. And so I think that, you know, having a place to go where you can have a community of people, I mean, that's the whole point of a, of a friendly local gaming store. And so the only way that we keep it around is if we support it, if we, you know, try to try to be an active part of it, be an active member of the community and really kind of do some good there. And I think that, you know, you get in what you uh, or you get out what you put in into these places. And I think that if you really desire that. Um, you can make it a reality for yourself if if you help them out. So that's all I got. So game more, yeah, cool. game more, game more. Thank you everybody for listening, and uh, we will catch you in the next podcast. Bye. All right, see you.